We are starting a brand new series today, all focused on relationships. Relationships, good stuff, huh? It's the best of stuff and it's the worst of stuff, isn't it? <laughs> you, get, you get the best of both worlds. Uh, Andy Andrews, a local author, lives over in, in Perdido, wrote a book, several really famous books, The Traveler, um, The Butterfly Effect, but he has a quote around relationships I really love. He said, you know, every, every good thing that comes into your life comes in through the form of a relationship. I love that quote. And I like to add a little bit of a caveat. Every bad thing <laughs> that comes into your life may have come in through the form of a relationship. And so we know life is built on relationships, who you are, who you associate with. We can't do this alone. We really need each other. We need one another. We need people in our lives. And it's the relationships that we have that really determine our net worth. It's not how much stuff we have. It's not money. It's not buildings or houses or cars. And we know that once we get to the end of this journey, nobody's worried about their stuff. Not everybody, you know, some folks are, but it's really, that's not the priority. It's people. It's the people in our life. It's our relationships. It's the most valuable thing that we have. And what I love about this book is, is it's full of just, just golden nuggets when it comes to relationships. I mean, it's full of it. And, and I think the big thought of, of simple relationships in this series that I want to just unpack over the next three weeks, we're going to spend three weeks on relationships. I tried to boil it down to, you know, what does every relationship, healthy relationship have in our life? You know, we have a lot of relationships. We have family, we have work, we have casual relationships, we have covenant relationships that are the closest. But today, we're going to kick it off with... Uh, just the word commitment. Every relationship you have, there's a commitment involved, either from you or the other person or both. There's a commitment. The second thing that I, every relationship has that's healthy is communication, right? They're, they're, you're, you're letting each other know where you stand. You're committed, but it's, it's not just this unspoken commitment. Well, they know I love them. I told them, you know, 17 years ago when we first got together. And, and, and uh, it's like, no, no, there's got, there's got to be a little more communication. And then the last week, the third week, we're going to talk about conflict because every healthy relationship has conflict. Come on, somebody. There's disagreements. We don't see eye to eye. How do we fight fair? I think the Bible talks about it. How do we fight fair? How do we have a conflict and not end up just burning everything to the ground? I have a family member, I've told this story before, and I'm not going to tell you who he is, but he, uh, he back, came out of a, a really tough, tough relationship, um, you know, long story short, it, it, ended, it ended in divorce, and the, the, the lawyer said, all right, um, you know, you've got to split everything down the middle, and so my, my this is my family, he was so upset that that's, he took the, 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 the words literal, and so he went to the house, and he cut everything in the house in half with a chainsaw, the couch, the TV, the cat, that, no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> no, but, uh, anyways, uh, Rod Stewart said, I'm not going to get married again, I'm just going to find a woman I hate and give her a house, that's his quote, uh, says he's pretty blunt about it, but, you know, relationships can be the best part of your life, and it can, they can get kind of complicated, and so the theme of this verse, simple, how do we keep it simple, well, let's let the, the God who designed relationships define them. 
So if God is love, and it's covered from Genesis to Revelation, if there's one word that we can describe God with, 1 John came out and said it. He said, God is love. Jesus said, disciples, the ones that represented God on the planet, apart from himself, this is how folks are going to know that you're a Christian, because you go to church every week. No, no. They, they're going to know you're a Christian because they know what you're against. They know everything that you're against, and, and because you're theological certainty, they're going to know that you know God. No, he said, this is how they're going to know. It's going to be the love that you have to one another. It's going to be that you, you lay your life down. It's going to be this love that you share. It's going to be your relationship with your friends and family and the relationships that you have within your life. That's how people are going to know. And Romans 12 is, is where I want to stay over the next few weeks. And it's kind of a, it's a unique verse for relationships. But Romans 12, the first few verses, I'm not going to read those today. But today we're just going to be in verses 9 through 13. But the beginning part of Romans 12 is, is, you may have heard it, you may have not, but it talks about, Paul says, I want you to do this with your life. I want you to lay your life down as a living sacrifice, which is kind of, he said, that's pleasing to God. And he says, in, in laying your life down, what begins to happen is when, when you're able to do that, he says, it's, this church begins to function like a body. And we begin to join together and the relationships in our life begin to work. I think that's what he's explaining here in Romans 12. It's not so much a, a you know, it, it's very practical. He's saying when things get out of whack, and he's speaking, you know, particularly within the church, but he's saying it's, it's because you're, you're not laying your life down. He says submit your body, lay your life down, and then watch how God begins to join things together in your life. And, and he joins everything where it needs to be, everything, every person has a place, Every person is in their place. So he compares it to a body. And then he goes on and he gives the practical way that this is done. He says, all right, okay, that sounds great. All right, we need to be in unity. We need to be together. Every relationship that you have that's healthy, you're, you, there's trust, there's unity. We're on the same page. Well, then he explains it a little more, verse 9. He says, love, this, this glue that holds our relationships together, it must be sincere. Now, this tells me that not all love is created equal. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves, and there's four primary Greek words used for love in the New Testament. We get one in the English language. It's love. You love your wife just as much as you love waffles, right? There's no, like, it's just love is love. I mean, there's one word for it. But in the Greek, they had different variations of the depth of that love. Words like eros is a Greek word for love, where we get the word erotic love. It was romantic love, sexual love. It was, we have the word charity. That's, a, that's another Greek word where it's, it's, it's laying your life down. It's sacrificial love. There's the Greek word Philadelphia, where we get um, the, the city of Philadelphia. is brotherly love. That's compassion. That's loving our brothers and sisters and our, and our family. And so, so Paul is pulling this out for us. He's saying love has to be sincere because not all love, not everything that, that is, is, is labeled as love is real love. He says it's got to be sincere. That word sincere means it can't be masked. That's what it means. It can't be hiding any uh, secret agendas. There can't be any ulterior motives. He says it's got to be pure. It's got to be authentic. And then I think he describes it. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. 
Be devoted to one another in Philadelphia. Brotherly love. If that was the Greek, it would just say Philadelphia. Honor one another above yourselves. Powerful. Never be lacking in passion or zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Faithful in prayer. So just for a few moments, I, I want to just give you a few things that you could take home with you that I, I believe will help you in your relationships. That, that, that number one, every good, healthy relationship that we have in our life is going to require commitment. It's going to, there's going to be an investing that comes from us. Right? There's, you, you reap what you sow. You, kind of, you get out what you put in. And relationships are simple, but it doesn't mean they're easy. Right? There's a few components to these healthy relationships, but, but they, they always will cost us something. That we're, we're invested, we're committed. And I think a lot of relationships, they, they cease to exist or they fail because that commitment is not there. And sometimes we, you know, it's, it's hard to really count the cost completely. Now, how much is this relationship going to require from me? How much do I have to be invested into this relationship to make it work? But the bottom line is everyone that we have that is working is, is, is going to require some kind of commitment out of us. And I think the biggest difference in the 21st century and then reading about relationships in, in the New Testament and in the Bible is, is they lived in a very covenant-type world while we live in a very con contractual-type world. We have a lot of contracts, right? You have a contract for everything. If you have a phone, you probably signed a contract for it. Um, if you have a house, you signed a contract for it. Signing lots of contracts these days. And in a contract world, the purpose of a contract, if you're in real estate, you know a contract is to, to protect you. <laughs> there's, there's all these, these different clauses in contracts. I don't, I, I don't want to know this stuff, but the last few years I've had to know this stuff. Right? There's dissolution clauses within the contract. There's a, there's a whole clause where if you act crazy, I can get out of this. <laughs> right? The bank, the bank don't trust you. They're loaning you that money for the house that you're living in. And they have this contract so that if you don't do these certain things that you said you were going to do, they can get out. And, and when the Bible talks about relationships, it uses the word covenant. You know, the Old Testament was the Old Covenant. The New Testament is the New Covenant. And covenants are really different than contracts. So you go into a contract, and the common theme in a contract is, I don't completely trust you, and you don't completely trust me, so let's hire a lawyer to help us get this thing, to, you know, so that we can go down the road together. So it's built on mutual distrust, right? But a covenant is the opposite. It's built on mutual trust. It's saying, I'm going into this, come hell or high water, I'm staying. It's your co-pilot. You can play Pac-Man and eat Skittles and drink a Slurpee this whole flight. But I'm going to do my job because I'm going to make sure that this plane gets landed. I'm not going to get out of my side of this deal because you act crazy. That's a contract. Covenant is saying, I got too much on the line here. 
And in the old, like, like old, old, old Testament, I was telling my son this this week, and, and I probably shouldn't have explained this to him, but it's like one of those things you say it and you're like, man, he's five. But, but in the old, they would call it cut, they would cut covenant. You ever heard that? They would cut covenant. And then in that, in that day, you know, they, they didn't have contracts, didn't have all, they would just cut their hand, and they would both be bleeding, they'd shake hands. It was a blood covenant. Basically, it, was, it signified there's no way to unravel this. That what's in me is now in you. What's in you is now in me. And this is a deep, deep commitment. It's a deep commitment. And so contracts versus covenant. The Bible is full of covenant language. The world is full of contracts. Contracts, you know, they, covenants are, are, they always have the interest of the other person in mind. That's a covenant. I want the best for you. A, a contract is always, well, what's, what's best for me? It's protecting my interest. Uh, you know, and, and so you, this, I think that's the first step in understanding relationships is they didn't have a lot of them in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but the ones they did, they valued highly. It's a covenant. So it's hard to understand covenant language, I think, in a contract world. But at the heart of it is committing at the, heart of it, at the heart of it, it's sticking through even when things get rough. I was listening to a, a pastor, and he was talking about his, his premarital counseling and how he does the sessions. And he'll, so he'll have the couple come in. And, and I, that's one of my favorite things to do is, is I, I love weddings. They're so fun. Premarital counseling, it's awesome. You know, I, it's, 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 it's fun. You know, what do you say to a young couple? that's getting ready to get married. You know, it's like, there's, you, you really, <laughs> there's a lot that you can say. And, and, and so I, this pastor, you know, he, he was talking about his, his routine. And he says, every time I, I bring them in and, and we go through, the, uh, we go through the, the vows, the traditional vows, you know, I love sitting down with a, with a couple and saying, all right, are you going to write your own vows or you want to do the traditional vows? You know, can we do both? And it's so fun. And and this pastor says, well, let's, he, he says, let's talk about the traditional, vow, uh, traditional vows for a moment. You know, it's, it's, it's in sickness and health, you know, to love and to cherish, disease, infirmity, all this stuff, um, you know, from this day forward until death do you part. And so he asked the couple, is there anything else that you would, you know, leave your, your spouse over? This is not me, y'all. This is a different pastor. I, didn't, I don't ask that. And, he says, and so he says, because I want to go ahead and put him in the vow. That's heavy there. Until death do us part, until debt do we part. You know, I don't know. If you don't let me surf, we will part. No, I know this can't. But he makes them think about it. And, 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 and so the, the, the vowel is there's one way out. So this is a commitment, y'all, on a level that we've never seen. But what I want you to see before we move, jump into this, and I'm going to give you these four things, is what is, okay, so, so what is our what is our model when it comes to relationships? Do we base it off of what we read in the news? Do we base it off of how our neighbors are doing? Or do we base it off of the relationships that we see in our life? Or do we base it off of God and the covenant that he has with us? And I think when it comes to God, it, 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 you know, what, is it, what does it take for God to leave you? If you were marrying God and we were asked that same question, you know, at what point do you quit? What time, at what point does God quit on you? 
I wanted you to see this in Hebrews 13. God said, I will never leave you. Come on. I will never forsake you. No matter what you face, no matter what relationship in your life works or doesn't work, no matter what you do or don't do, no matter how well you are or how good you are at your job or how bad you are at your job. This is not conditional based. This is not based on performance. This is not based on merit. This is the God of the universe saying, you got a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And so as we go into this, I, I, I don't want you to feel shame. I don't want you to feel guilt. God spent a lot of time constructing your future. So please don't let anything in your past rob you from what God has for you right now. And I think that's one of Satan's biggest lies that he uses. He uses it on me all the time. God's not concerned about what you're facing. He's not even involved in what you're going through right now. He, he's, he's got bigger, better things to do. He's busy, right? There's a pandemic. Did you know that? You know, like, like, like God is he's dealing with all that. No, no, no. God cares so much about you. He cares about the relationships in your life. And I want you to know you've got an advocate to the end. People may give up. Everybody may give up. But God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be, I'm going to be right there by your side, guilty or not guilty. You have got a ride or die in God. I want you to hear that. That's good to know. Especially when you get in trouble and things are getting lonely and you feel like the people you thought were going to be there to help you, they're not there. To know that God is committed He's going to ride it out all the way. I came across this. What does it mean to be committed? That, that commitment, I didn't come up with this definition. It means to stay loyal to what you said you were going to do long after the mood you said it in left you. That's worth coming to church right there. What does it mean to commit to something? It means I was in a real happy mood when I said yes to this. Now I'm in a real unhappy mood and I want to quit, but I gave them my word. And I don't feel like committing. And I don't feel like staying. And everything in my body is saying just go on and move on. But I made a commitment. And so commitment's not based in feeling. Commitment is based in decision. It's based in choice. There's going to be days where you just don't feel like being committed to your job anymore, right? Come on. We've all had that. We're getting on our, we're looking on our computer, looking for another job, looking in another state. I'm just going to move. Anybody do that on Sunday afternoons? I'm just going to move. I found another job. I'm going to be an Uber driver in Denver. That's where I'm going. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm done with this, right? You're going to feel like quitting all the time, I think. I know you don't want to hear that. But when you do anything for, for a while, there's going to come seasons where it's harder to stay than it is to leave. It's harder. So it's committing. It's seeing it through. The most famous verse on love, John 3.16. Everybody in here probably knows it. If you don't, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> it's painted on football players' faces. We know it. it's the famous, most famous love verse. God so loved the world, he, he gave his only son. And we talk about that as the love verse, but I want you to see this, the John 3.16 principle is not so much in the word love, it's in the verb give. That, that love is, it always requires action. 
And in John 3, 16, God loved the world so much he gave. He gave it his best. And, and so what I, I want to give you four things, and what I don't want you to do is take these things and say, okay, these are just four more things that i got to start doing. These are just four more things that, okay, i got ten, ten ways to fix relationships, seven ways to, to heal this, you know, to, to, to heal a, a disgruntled relationship at home. Or, you know, like, like there's, there's a lot of good things out there that you can do and apply but what I want, to, I want to give these to you in a way, though, they're not so much in what I want you to do, but what has been done for you. One of my favorite things in, in all of the world is to watch the Blue Angels fly. I love it. Like, I, it takes me, like, I feel like I'm a kid. This year was probably my favorite show of, of all the years because they have a new jet this year. It's a little bit bigger. It's a little bit louder. Smells a little more like jet fuel. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just... I, I, it's just something about it. I love it. My son, he's, he's at age now. He's five. And, you know, couple past couple years, it's been a little bit spooky, but now he just it scared him. He loves it. And one of the coolest things, I, I mean, I, I absolutely love about these planes is how close they fly together. I mean, it, it, it literally looks like they're, they're touching. It's, it's amazing. And in 2017, believe it or not, while they were practicing here on this beach with the Thunderbirds, that actually happened. There's a news article, you can Google it, uh, Blue Angels swap paint. They call it swapping paint. And so they, in one of their maneuvers, I think it's the Delta maneuver, they fly so close, they're anywhere, you know, from 18 to 24 inches apart. And, and, and in my mind, you know, if you're flying that close to anything, if you're driving that close, right, Clearly, they got autopilots in these planes or something. Like, there's a GPS steering these planes. You know, they're just hitting, okay, flyover maneuver. Boop. You know, and then, and then you know. But, but uh, you know, there's a little bit of research, I, you know, and, and, and we have pilots in our church, and I love talking with them. That's not how it works. These planes don't have autopilots. As much as I thought they did, they don't. They're all flying in, in unison, and they're all following the number one plane. They don't have, there's no electronics keeping them tight. There's no, you know, help from a GPS system keeping them in line. When they're doing these, you know, critical maneuvers, they're following the number one plane. And in the 80s, the Thunderbird, one of the worst, worst accidents that's ever happened in Air Force history, they were following the front plane. And all the, they went and did a big loop, and all the planes were following the front plane. Well, the, the pilot had, he was uh, flying a little too, too low, and they followed the front plane, all of them, down in, into the ground. I didn't know that. And I think when it comes to relationships, it really has to do 100% with who you're looking at. Who are you following? Who's defining what a healthy relationship, a healthy marriage, what, is, what are relationships, what should they look like? What's my model? And in aviation with the Blue Angels, if that number one plane gets off, they all get off. Dallas Willard, in his book called The Divine Conspiracy, he has a, a little segment in there called Flying Upside Down. And he says what's happened in, in culture is so many people have, they're watching the wrong plane. They're watching, they have the wrong lead, and so they're just, they're following the wrong plane, and it's all ending the same way. And when it comes to relationships, we have the best lead. 
We have the best number one plane, and, and our goal is not to get everything perfect. I'm not trying to give you more stuff to do. My goal is to get you to watch him, follow him. What does the word of God say about relationships and marriage, and, and how do I treat people at work and on the job and family and friends? Because if I can follow, if I can just keep my eyes on that, it's going to keep me flying where I need to fly. But as soon as I, as I get my eyes off of that, I mean, you know, one of that, one of these articles I read about flying, I've never flown upside down, but you can fly upside down so long you don't realize you're flying upside down. Dallas Willard writes about that, and you can almost get confused because your lead is off. And I think when it comes to relationships, we have the best lead. The Bible talks a lot about, okay, this is the goal. This is what you should aim for. This is what you should strive for in your relationships because this is how God treated you. This is what God did for you. And so I want to look at that. Number one, committed love when it, as coming from God the Father. What does committed love look like? I just want to give you four things. Committed love prioritizes. Committed love prioritizes. When we read about, I'm just going to give you the verse on it, then we'll unpack it. First John chapter 3, this is how we know what love is. That Christ laid down his life for us that he went first before there was any potential in our life before anybody seen really anything good in our life he prioritized you he prioritized a relationship with you there's a million other things i think he could have accomplished while he was here but he said no i, I there's one thing i have to do i have to lay my life down i have to go to the cross why so that he could elevate each one of you so that we could have a relationship with him. He says, I'm, I've got to make this a priority. And when it, I think it comes to relationships, the ones that we don't make a priority, they're going to suffer. Because not every relationship is going to have top priority in our life. That if we're married, that's going to be our top priority, right? That's going to be our spouse. That's, that's number one. Everything else comes behind. We were, Kayla and I were at a marriage conference about, a t about eight or nine years ago. It was a while ago. And, and this pastor was up there sharing about his wife and, and you know, the priorities of their relationships. And he says, we remind our kids all the time that, you know, mom and dad are number one and number two, right? And the kids, y'all are just guests in this house, okay? Y'all are a far number three, okay? We brought you into this house. We can remove you from this house, right? And it's, e I, I, it's easy for things that shouldn't be on the top of the list to end up at the top of the list. Where priorities just get out of whack. I know that I've put things ahead of relationships in my life more than once. A job can take priority over that relationship. Other relationships. I think it's critical that we remember that God made us a priority and the relationships that God has blessed us with we have to keep them a priority in our life. That means we got to make time for them. I know this is simple. If you're married, making time for your spouse just to be with them. You know, kind of, I think we do really good at this when we're dating. There's nothing more important in the world than them. And then we get married and it's like, well, there's a game on tonight. There's surf's up. So, uh, now, you know, the hunting season. Come on, somebody. I'm going I'm to get everybody. Date nights, they're critical. 
time where, where you're just with your spouse. If you can make them weekly, make them weekly. That's one of the things I ask every couple. I ask them, so how, how's your date night look like? When's the last time you went on a date? I was asked that question five years ago. We were getting ready to plant this church. and sitting down with another pastor, and the first thing he asked me, didn't care about my theological background, didn't care about any of that. He said, when's the last time you and your wife went on a date? I was like, what does this have to do with planting churches? Uh, you know, I, didn't say, I didn't say that, but I thought it because it had been a while. We just had our son. I mean, I was embarrassed, like months. And he took that really serious. He's like, I mean, if you want to do this, you want to, you want to plant a church. There, and I think if we do anything in life, it all flows out of our close relationships. And when the close relationships aren't healthy, the people that are the closest in these covenant relationships, when, when that's not healthy, and everything else kind of gets out of whack. And so we got we to gotta remind, I'm, I'm reminding you, I love you, and I want, I want these relationships that God has placed in your life to work. And so we want to prioritize them just the way God prioritized us. We want to make them, you know, put them top on the list. The second thing committed love does is committed love pursues. When I think about God's love, I think about the love that we all share. It's not a love that we found. It's a love that found us. Right? It, it, it's a love that pursues. It's a love that, that left heaven and came to earth and put on flesh and walked around for 33 years and endured all types of hurt and pain and ridicule. Why? So that he could pursue you. So that he could be close to you. So that he could be touched with the same feelings that you're touched with and know what it is that you face and go through and, and be able to not only experience what we all experience, but to be able to encourage us when we're going through those same types of things. It pursues us. The love of God runs us down. The love of God, I'm so glad that the love of God kept knocking on the door in my life when I shut it and nailed it closed. I'm thankful that the love of God never got, got so far distanced in my life that I, that I knew that I, it was always there. I was always reminded. It was just something that I knew that I needed to receive. The love of God pursues us. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, the story of the prodigal son. And one of the portions of this story that, you know, I think we read over really fast is how the prodigal son got his inheritance. There was two brothers, there was a dad, the dad was wealthy, and one of the brothers, the younger brother, said, you know what, I'm tired of these rules. Tired of living in dad's house. I got everything I could possibly want, but I think I could do it better on my own. And so he goes to his dad and he asks him for his inheritance. Now keep in mind, you get your inheritance when dad dies. It's the way it works. It's the way it works now. It's the way it worked then. And so his son basically is saying, Dad, you're dead to me. I just want your stuff. And took that inheritance and went and squandered it. Now, how do you think Dad's feeling? I love the Bible because it's a real magic book, y'all. Because of the story of the prodigal son, at one point in your life, you may be the prodigal son. And then at one point in your life, you may read that story again, and you may be the hurt dad whose son is going buck wild 
and spending all your money. But he runs, gets to the end of his rope and he runs out of money. And he, in his mind, can't go back home. According to the law, probably shouldn't go back home. And it says that he just came to himself. He had an aha moment and thought, you know what? Even the lowest of the low in my dad's house are being treated better than I am right now. He was eating the food, almost ate the food the pigs were eating. And so he's dragging himself back home, smelling like a pig, <laughs> no money left. The last conversation he had with his dad was, give me what's mine. I don't want a relationship with you. I just want what you can give me. And you know what his dad was doing when he came home? It says while he was still a long ways off, his dad was watching for him. And his dad came running for him. You know, and in that day, they, they wore these long, like, like basically dresses. You know, the, and, and so in that day, for a man to run, it was improper. So he had to pull up that, th that dress, you know, <laughs> and he's running for his son. Can you see this? The son that hurt him so bad. The son that said, I don't want nothing to do with you anymore. I just want your money. And as soon as he seen his son come, he ran to him. That's the God that you serve. Now, people will tell you otherwise. Religion will say, you better get your stuff together, boy, before you come back to this house. Religion will say, you better get your life right out there, then you're invited in here again. But he embraced him. He pursued him. He ran to him. Now, when you've been hurt a lot, I know that's hard to do. Now, if you got a son that this is his 37th time that he's taken all your stuff and he, he's blown it and he's... Maybe there needs to be a conversation first. I don't know. But God and his love pursues you. And I believe it's always there and it's always running and it's always coming after us. And he, he, he does something else. He, he, he says, okay... He gets a robe. He says, I want, to get, I want a robe. Get the best robe that we have. And I want a ring. I want you to put it on my son's hand because I want everybody to know in the family business, I want everybody to know that's in this house and in the community that my son is home and he's mine. And we're picking up right where we left off. And I think that was symbolic. That was symbolic. That, that was showing that not only does the love of God pursue you, when he finds you, he protects you. He put that robe on him, not because he needed to clothe him. He put that robe on him to protect him from the words. The older brother, right? You know the older brother. We all have an older brother. I'm an older brother, right? The older brother that was sitting in the house that kept every rule and kept all the law and was mad that the prodigal son came home. Our God pursues us. Our God protects us. Love covers. Come on, somebody. Love covers. Committed love covers. Committed love protects. Committed love doesn't expose. Committed love doesn't humiliate. humiliate. Committed love says, I'm going to absorb this. I'm going to take this on as my own mistake. Son, I know that you made some crazy decisions. I know you did some bad stuff. But his dad pursued him and protected him. Aren't you glad? That you have a God that doesn't define your life by your lowest moments, 
Aren't you glad that you have a God who will stand in and protect you when everybody in your network says he's guilty? What's he doing here? Why is he getting a second chance? Come on, somebody. That's our, that's our model. That's the plane we're following, y'all. That's how I know that I'm, I'm committing in my relationships because I'm, I'm, I'm protecting the people in my world. If somebody comes to me and asks me, hey, so-and-so on your staff did this or did that, I'm going to stop them. I learned that at Pepsi. <laughs> Before you go any farther and start telling me about how bad of a job Johnny does, let's call Johnny. This, ha this works in marriage. This works on the job. This works in church. It's protecting the people in our life. It's, it's being the person that's not willing to listen to that. It's being the person that's willing to maybe even sacrifice to protect the people that you love. We have a God that does that for us. And then here's the last one, the fourth one. Committed love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's the love chapter. I read it at every single wedding, one of my favorite verses. And it, it's, it's, it's a beautiful verse for many reasons. But there's 11 or 12 things in that verse. It's known as the love chapter that talks about what, what true love exemplifies. Right? Love is patient. It's kind. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It doesn't insist on its own way, but it insists in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. But at the, the end of that chapter, there's four, there's four things that love always does that Paul writes about. He says love, pure love, committed love, it always protects. We talked about that. It always trusts. It always hopes. And then there's this last one I want to give you. They all start with P. It's a disease. It always perseveres. And he starts this list off, Paul, he starts this list off with love is patient. That's the first attribute of, of, of committed love. And he ends it with it perseveres. And I didn't catch that until this week. And, and I love because I think when it comes to committed love in our life, it starts with patience a lot of times. It starts with waiting for the good. Come on, somebody. But it might end in perseverance. And perseverance is not waiting for the good, but it's waiting for the pain to go away. And when he says love perseveres, I think it just simply means that love stays. It's committed. It's fixed. That word persevere, it's, it's to stay and endure under heavy trial. It's to stay and to endure under, under persecution. And when everybody in your life thinks that you should just, just walk away, but no, no, love, love perseveres, love stays. That's not what love does. Now, I know that everybody has different stories and different experiences, and I know there's a lot of pain around this topic. So please don't let shame, just shut the door on shame. Love perseveres. And you don't need perseverance until you're in a place or a moment where you just feel like quitting. 
You need patience when you really want to do something you can't do yet. But you need perseverance when you really want to get out of something. A couple years ago, two years ago on Good Friday, uh, Kate, my, my wife got a call from her grandfather, and, um, grandmother, that her grandfather had passed away. And um, we drove out there, and he was, they lived in Jay. And we were driving out there, and, and um, uh, her grandmother wanted to stay with him for a little while. So they, they left him at the house, and when we got there, he was, still, he was still there in the bed, and they were together. And she was holding his hand, and we walked in the room, and 65 years they are married. Six, 65 years. I don't remember a whole lot, but I just remember her being in the bed, and, and, um, and we walked up, and we grabbed her hand, and we were talking. She said, Nathan, you need to tell your church that people give up too soon. She says, I've been married to this man 65 years, I'll, I'll, and I feel like I barely know him. And I thought, 65 years? <laughs> you ain't tired of this guy? You don't know how many 65 years? But it was a holy moment. I wrote it down. I wanted to remember it. Because here's a person that has spent 65 years of her life loving this one man. And at the, at the end of that journey, she said, I barely got started with knowing who this man was. And I think when the Bible says love perseveres, is there's more on the other side of this struggle you're in. If you, just, if you could just stay, if you could just stay, stay steadfast and, and persevere, and I know it's hard, and I, I, I know there's times where, where there's, it just comes to the point where it's just easier to give up, and you just want to walk away, but this whole thing in life, I think, is about learning how to love. I think all of it. I think, it's a big, I think we're in a big classroom, y'all, and it's called Reality. And it's life, and some are here for a little while, some are here for hundreds of years. And it's the same test that's going to hit your desk every time. And you can walk out away and get frustrated and say, I'm not taking the love test. I can't pass it. I'm done. But then you get the same test again. And God's going to bring somebody in your life that's unlovable. And God's going to hook you up with somebody in a relationship, and there's going to be friction and there's going to come opportunities in your, in your marriage and in relationships where it would be easier just to quit. But it's just a test. And I think what we have in our relationship with God and as we close is we have the power to persevere. He's not asking us to do something he did not do. Come on, somebody. And he's not asking us to do things in our own strength. Because to love the people well in your life, you're going to need that supernatural power of God's love. You're going to need his perseverance. You're going to have to watch that number one plane over and over and over and remind yourself, okay, no, love is patient. Love is kind. I want to slap this joker right across the face. But that's not in there. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Okay, let me get rid of this list I've been keeping. I feel like my wife could put an elephant up to the test on how much she can remember stuff. Do you remember in 2003 when we were at the mall? No, I'm just kidding, man. <laughs> like, man. Come on, Lord. <laughs> I do the same thing. 
I need to get better illustrations. That was a... perseveres and so what I want you to do in front of you there's some communion packets and I know we don't take a communion we don't take communion every week we don't take communion every month but it's really special when we do and I want to take communion for this specific reason today Because I think the first person to take communion was the thief on the cross. I think he understood what the disciples didn't understand. And in the last few moments of Jesus' life, he persevered. He persevered. He could say, Titeliestai, it, it is finished. He, he completed it. I made it. I stayed faithful. And this thief on the right side, he was saying, well, Jesus, can you, I got one thing to ask you. When you get into heaven, will you remember me? So if I'm dying and I've got the son of God next to me, I don't know how much I'm going to care about him thinking about me when he gets to heaven. Is that what he was saying? When you get to heaven, just think about me. Remember me. Think a good thought towards me, Jesus. And I don't think that's what he meant. I think this is the first mention of communion because this thief understood something. He says, when he says, remember me, I think what he's really asking is, Jesus, my life is in a million pieces right now. My relationships are broken. There's stuff in my life that is not working. Can you remember me? Put the police pieces back together. The relationships that need to be healed, can you heal those? The brokenness that's in some of my relationships, they kind of feel shattered. There's not much left there. It feels like it's just pieces on the ground, and I'm just showing up. Can, can you put them back together? And we serve a God who can do that. And so I want you to think about the relationships in your life, the people that you should be connected with right now, and that relationship's not there. Could be a son, could be a daughter, could be a husband, a wife, could be a friend, a colleague. I, I don't know. But can we take our relationships and take them to the foot of the cross and just like that thief asked, Lord, can you remember my life? The people that I need to be connected with, can you connect me? Is there, do I just need to, do I need to forgive somebody? Am I holding on to grudges and bitterness and things that I don't need to hold on to? So if you take that bread, it represents the body. It says the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, it's broken, but it's not gonna stay that way. If there's some things in your family, I, I need you to, to, to really lean in on this. If there's some brokenness in the relationships in your family, I want you to believe God as you eat this. 
that he's going to bring healing. He's going to bring healing. You've been persevering. You've been praying. You've been believing God to fix that thing in your life. I want you one more time. Can you try one more time? That with his broken body, we can be put back together. Our relationships, the people that we love the most. You can take the bread. And then he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. There's a new, con new covenant. New, new Testament is written in my blood. And as often as you take this cup, he says, I want you to remember me. What does this represent? Anything in your life that God's called you to carry that produces pain. God asked his son to carry a cross. It produced a lot of pain. That was his calling. And then there's going to be some things in your life that God's going to call you to do that's going to hurt. There's going to be some moments in your life where maybe a relationship feels like you're carrying a cross. But I believe when we give it to God, he can bring healing in areas. He can do so much when we watch him, when we focus on him. And so that's what we do. Father, we thank you for this cup. We thank you that you persevered for us and we're following your lead. And so Lord, help us to be faithful. Lord, help us to be committed. Help us to forgive again and again and again. When it feels like there's no point in even staying, Lord, remind us. that it's darkest right before dawn and that you can work a miracle. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.